0: God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today. Thanks so much for coming, and we realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the people there, so we bring that service to you wherever you are. And today we hope you'll be encouraged as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Would you open in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 8? That's where we're going to be today. And as you know, we'll also put those verses up here in the video for you just to make it easier for you to follow along. Now, while you're turning there, I'd like to just give you a real quick message because today we have heard in the news that there's been a few missiles or rockets that were fired at Tel Aviv. And our brothers and sisters there, we want you to know that we're praying for you. I've been there under those rockets before. I've been there and uh, in the north in 2006 when we had that war with the Lebanese guerrillas from Iran. And so I'm used to a lot of rockets falling. But don't you worry, God has you in His hands. Now, if you're watching this video, and I don't want you to be frightened because of this, this is something that happens from time to time but we read the end of the story in the bible and guess what god wins so uh, just uh, in hebrew now for my brothers in tel aviv and everything achim ani ursem lehitpalel bishprem hayom mchar veatar she elohim bakasei shlo ve L'chishuv al-ki hu ha'abashokha. My brothers in Tel Aviv, you don't have anything to worry about. You know, as I know, that God is on His throne and He's going to take care of you and you are His. So now let's continue in chapter 8 of the book of Genesis. And today we're going to be continuing in our series, the beginnings series in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. And today I'd like to talk to you about carried above. So get ready as we continue our journey through the book of Genesis. We're going to be looking at chapter 8, verses 1 through 5 today, and next week we'll complete the rest of the book of Genesis, in chapter 8, that is. Now just to uh, clarify something that I said about these rockets that were over, is over Tel Aviv, today is March the 14th. 2019. So if you're watching this after it's been archived on another day, don't you worry about anything. And if you're watching that on March 14th, 2019, and you're in Israel, don't you worry about anything. We're in good hands with God. So this is not the first time this has happened. Probably won't be the last, but I'll tell you what, every time this has happened, God has won. He's come through. And today, we're just going to continue doing what He wants us to do, taking our time and refuge in the Word of God, His Word. Jesus said of God's Word, Your Word, Father, is truth. That's why we're here today, to study the truth of God's Word. So here we go, Genesis 8, verse 1 through 5, today, and the next week, the rest of Genesis chapter 8. Let's look at it together. Starting in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained and the waters receded continually from the earth, and at the end of 150 days the waters decreased. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, in the seventeenth day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. Now, I want to talk about these verses today. Obviously, it's only five verses, and you say, well, this is not going to be much of a message. Oh, you'd be surprised. There's a lot in these five verses. Now I know that uh, last week and the week before, Pastor Jason Duff, who we asked to uh, take care of those messages for us, and and we used his messages on Genesis chapter 7. He did a wonderful job on Genesis chapter 7 and showing the evidences and the scientific evidences worldwide of the flood and all of these factors and did a wonderful job. And actually today we're going to use a couple of the verses from chapter 7 and put it together with one of the verses from these first five verses in Genesis chapter 8. And it's going to make a story that you might not have realized. A very, very important story that actually pinpoints the exact day when the Messiah was to come to Israel and to Jerusalem and to present himself as the Messiah. That's right. These little verses that we read today, you may think they're just about the flood. There's something more there. We'll get into that in just a little bit. As we read these verses today, obviously, Pastor Jason talked last week about how the flood was on the earth and how all living things were destroyed. And that's where these verses today pick up. But then it says at the end of these verses, or at the start rather, that God remembered Noah. Now, the first point we want to make here of these five verses is that God remembered Noah. Does that mean that he forgot Noah? No, he didn't forget Noah. He doesn't forget things like people do, like where is my car keys or where did I put my glasses, especially when I look up in there on the top of my head. Ah, I hate it when that happens. Nowadays, sometimes I even try to look for my glasses and I'm wearing my glasses, looking for my glasses. How does that work? I know what you're saying you're thinking I just need another cup of coffee and you know what I think you're right (laughs) but anyway God doesn't forget the only thing he says in the Bible that he forgets is he chooses not to remember our sins any longer once our sins are forgiven and taken care of and atoned for under the blood of his son the Messiah Yeshua HaMashiach Jesus Christ God forgets our sins He takes them, he says, and puts them as far away from him as east is from west. But it says in the first part of our verses today, chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, God remembered Noah. So what does that mean? Does that mean that he was going to forget Noah? No, of course not. Just like we said, he doesn't forget. God didn't forget him. It just means that he's turning his attention back to Noah. He was dealing with the earth And doing the judgment for all the sin, pouring out the judgment for all the extreme, extreme wickedness and terrible, terrible violence that that that, that group of people were doing at that time. And it just became so worse that God said, I've got to destroy this. This is horrible. Other people were suffering because of it. All of creation was suffering. The earth was suffering. The animals were suffering. Everything was about violence and wickedness in the earth. Their thoughts were only evil continually, it says. And so God destroyed all flesh. And only Noah and his three sons, and Noah's wife and his three sons' wives, eight people were saved in this ark that God told Noah to build. So now Noah has been up there, it says, for about 150 days. And now it says God remembered Noah. And that just means he turned his attention back on to Noah. He dealt with the flood, he dealt with the judgment, and then he said, "Okay, now it's time to take care of Noah again. He did not forget Noah. He just had a time when he was going to deal with Noah and bring him back down to earth. And that's what we're going to see today. Now on a related note, even though it's a much smaller situation, you may be going through a time of trial in life, severe trials in life. Day after day, you look out the window of your heart and you see nothing but emptiness One day after another, that scenery never changes. The situation you're in is still there. It's times like these when it's easy to feel alone and you know that you're a child of God, but you wonder if God has noticed what's happening to you. You wonder if He's heard your cries for help. The answer is yes, He has heard you. And yes, He knows what you're going through. And He loves you greatly, but there's a time for every part of His plan in your life. You may not see it, but God has perfect wisdom and perfect insight into what is perfect and best for you. And if you just patiently trust in His love for you, He will come through at just the right, perfect moment. He's put you where you are for a purpose. He's allowing you to go through what you're going through for a reason. And it was through being in the ark, alone and drifting for all that time with nothing around but water that God was saving Noah and his family from all the destruction below. God has your welfare and benefit in mind. His plans for you are for good and not for evil. He's still there with you, guiding you, carrying you, and seeing you through to the good things He's got planned for you. So don't you feel alone and abandoned? God has promised you that He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And if you'll just keep your faith in Him at just the right time, He will rescue you and bring you to a new place, a place of safety and blessing. God hasn't forgotten you. No, He's just hidden you away, safe from harm. He's using this time to grow you. It's a time for becoming stronger and more godly and closer to Him. And one day soon, you'll understand just how much He's been with you, guiding you, teaching you, growing you in faith and in grace. He hasn't forgotten about you. He remembers you. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you're going through. He gave His life for you that you might be His. He's not going to let go of you. He remembers His children. God remembered Noah, and God will remember you. Don't you worry at all. The second thing that we want to note in these verses today is that Noah and all who were in the ark were safe because they were above the flood. By the way, that flood is a lot like the rapture that we talk about in the church where God will take His believers, catch them up from the ground to be with Him and meet Him forever in the clouds to be with Him forever while He pours out His judgment on sin on another time in which the world is wicked which the world is evil, violent, so many things happening today, lies, deception, wars, people forgetting God, people cursing God, people killing millions and millions of unborn babies. What a time of wickedness and horrible sin this world is in today. But yet God needs you and I here for a while in this darkness to shine His lights When Jesus was walking around on the earth, He made the statement, He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows Me will not walk in darkness. But before He was about to leave the world and go to the cross and be returned to the Father, He made the statement to the disciples. He said, You are the light of the world now. Let Your light shine before men in such a way that they may see Your good works and glorify Your Father who is in heaven. You are the light of the world. Don't hide your light. Don't try to hide the fact that you belong to Him, that you are a believer in Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ. Don't try to hide that fact. God doesn't light a light and then want you to hide that light. He lights that light in your heart and wants you to shine. he puts you up on on a place in the house where you're to give light to all who enter in. Don't hide that light. Let that little light shine. I've told you before, you know, the way the science is, is darkness is nothing. You say, well, what do you mean darkness is nothing? I I hear about darkness all the time. Oh, well, here's what I mean. Light is a spectrum of what we call the electromagnetic spectrum. It's oscillations. It's true energy. It's, it's energy. And it's a part of the energy band that we can see with our eyes. It's light. It's real. It's something of physics. It's something of science. You know what darkness is? The only definition for darkness that we have is darkness is the absence of light. Darkness is nothing. You want to have a match between darkness and light? You think all those things about the powers of darkness are are just so powerful that you don't know who's gonna win the the light of God or the darkness of the devil? Come on, God is the creator of all things. Spoke heaven and earth into existence. What we know today of creation? 2.2 trillion galaxies, at least what we know today only. Each of those galaxies with hundreds of billions of stars And our sun is just one average size star in our galaxy, which has around 400 to 600 billion such stars. And there's 2.2 trillion galaxies, each with hundreds of billions of stars in the universe. God spoke it all into existence. And by the way, our sun, just one of trillions and trillions of stars, is over 1 million times the size of the earth we live on. Is God big? Oh yeah, God's big. Is Satan big? No. Satan is a created being. God is the creator who spoke all things. With the blink of God's eyes, he can take Satan and all of his demons and power, turn them into ashes and scatter them to the edge of the universe. Nothing is like God, the Lord. Nothing compares to Him. There is no power against Him. There is no wisdom against Him. There is no thing that can stand against Him. But all things are from Him and through Him and by Him and to Him. And He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is all-wise. And He loves you. Wow. You know, if you know those two things, that God loves you completely, perfectly, and that He's all-powerful and all-wise and all-knowing, what else do you need in life? What else do you need to know? but that God is all-powerful and that He loves you. What else do you need? If you think about it, He is all we need. He is all we need. Now, He hasn't forgotten about you. But just like He carried Noah above the flood with his family, in the same way, He will call us above the judgment of the earth that He's going to pour out on this wicked earth after he's given the people enough time to turn to him. But after a while, and he will know the people who have had the chance but did not turn to him, the people who had the chance to believe but did not believe on his Messiah, Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord, the Christ. And after he's given them so much chance and he's been so patient with them, just like at the time of the flood, he will pour out his judgment upon the earth. And just like the time of the flood, He will take us up above the judgment, carry His children above the judgment that He's pouring out on the world. Now, why is this? Well, think about it. God's judgment is a punishment for sin. But through Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. And those who believe on Jesus as Messiah and Lord have their sins forgiven. They're washed clean. So all who are in Christ will be carry it away, carry above, above God's judgment of sin. And this is known as the rapture of the church, where believers are carried above to a place of safety and protected by God until the judgment of sin is over and the earth is restored to Him. This is completely consistent with the rest of Scripture, as God's Word teaches it too that those who believe on Jesus as the Messiah and the Lord have their sins forgiven. They'll not be judged because of the atoning sacrifice that God provided when He sent His Son, Jesus the Messiah, to take our sins upon Himself. And this concept is also shown again even in the book of Genesis. Chapter 19 in the book of Genesis, verse 15 through 22, we read that the angels who were sent by God to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for their wickedness, for the wickedness of those people in Sodom and Gomorrah and all on that plain in that area. Those angels told Lot that they could not judge the city and destroy it until he was out of there and in the mountains far away and up, up above that coming judgment. They told Lot, you got to hurry. you got to get out of here because as long as you're here, I can't do anything. That's what the angel told Lot. So you see, God doesn't destroy the just With the unjust. Now, you say, Well, I'm a sinner too, just like those unjust people. That is true, and we're all sinners, but our sins have been atoned for. Our sins have been carried away. Our sins have been forgotten by God, because when He looks at you who believe on His Son, Jesus Christ, He sees the perfect atonement of His Son, just like the Passover lamb, and your sins are forgiven forever. So you are clean because of not what you've done, but because of what the Son of God did for you. Because of the love of God in sending His only begotten Son, that you and I might be forgiven and have everlasting life. Now there's one more thing that we see in these first five verses of chapter 8. But it's a very important thing. And it's something you'd never guess is there. It talks about 150 days. What is so important about 150 days, Pastor Stephen? 150 days, okay, the water was on the earth 150 days. Well, just this. Between chapter 7 that Pastor Jason talked about last week and chapter 8 that we're on today, there are three things that are extremely, extremely important. First of all, in chapter 7, God told us exactly when the flood started. Well, just I understand. You're rolling your eyes. You're you're saying, what's so important about that? It had a flood. Why does it matter when it started and how long the waters? Well, just this. God told us exactly when the flood started. And also in chapter 7, he told us exactly how long the waters prevailed on the earth. That means how long they were above all of the earth, the tallest mountains and everything. If you turn to chapter 7 real quickly, you can confirm this. Just look back at verse 11. I won't show it here, but you look at it while I'm talking because you know that I talk too much anyway, so I better keep going so we can wrap this thing up and as Pastor Jason likes to say, so we can eventually land this plane. But anyway, turn over to chapter 7 verse 11, you'll find out it says you'll find out it says in chapter 7 verse 11 that God told us exactly what was going on. Let's see now. We'll find that here. Here we go. Uh, actually, let's go first. Let's go to uh, chapter 7. There it is. And, verse, and God said, um, On that day, in verse 8, all, all, the fountains of the earth, all the fountains of the deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. On that day, he told us exactly that on this 17th day of the second month, the 17th day of the second month in the 600th year, I believe it was, of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, all the fountains of the deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were open. Now, the ark had already been built. So as the fountains of the earth were broken up, as the windows of heaven were opened, the water rose so quickly that very quickly, even after a few feet high of water, the ark was lifted up off of the earth. Keep that in mind. Then he says in Genesis 7:23 and 24, So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the waters prevailed, it says in verse 24 of chapter 7, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Hmm. So now Genesis 7 has told us exactly when the flood started. 17th day of the second month of the 600th year of Noah's life. 17th day of the second month. Remember that. And then it said that the water stayed on the earth, prevailed over the earth for 150 days. Now these verses are in chapter 7, but we're studying chapter 8 today, right? So how does that fit together? Well, from these verses in chapter 7, we not only know how the flood began, but we, when the flood began, but we know how long the waters were on the earth, as we said. Now maybe you're saying, okay, look, I get it, but why is all this so important? Well, here's why it's so important. Verse 4 of chapter 8 that we read today, our chapter today, it says, when the ark rested in the seventh month, and then the ark rested in the seventh month, the 17th day of that month on the mountains of Ararat. Hmm. Okay. It tells us when the ark took off of the earth was lifted up off the earth. It says that the waters were on the earth for 150 days. And now it's saying that the ark rested and the waters decreased on the seventh month in the 17th day. So from the second month, 17th day, to the seventh month, the 17th day, and they were on the, on the earth for 150 days. What's so important about that? Well, here's what's important. Elsewhere in the Bible, there's a prophecy. Now in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, there's an amazing prophecy given by God that tells exactly, exactly when His Messiah will come. When His Messiah will come to proclaim to the Israelites, to all the world, in fact, that He is the Messiah sent by God. And He will come to defeat sin, to give His life, and to defeat sin and death in the grave. This amazing prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 is called the 70 Weeks Prophecy. It tells everybody living close to 600 years before Jesus walked the earth in His physical body. It tells everybody living at that time how they can calculate the very day that the Messiah will come and proclaim himself to Israel. Now, I'm not going to go through all the math at this time. I'll tell you later how you can see that math because I've taught on it before. But suffice to say that this particular prophecy, the 70 weeks prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, requires an understanding. And it requires you do some basic math to see what it means and to pinpoint the very day that the Messiah was going to come. Calendars have changed through the years. Right now we go uh, by a solar calendar that has, forgive me, the science, you know, the scientist, has 365.242 days per year in it, in our solar calendar. Solar simply means that our calendar today is based on the sun. But the calendar in the Bible was based on the moon. And there's different numbers of days in the month, depending on whether you're using a solar calendar or a lunar calendar based on the month, based on the moon. And if you know the right calendar that's being talked about and how to figure it out, then all of this math ends up pointing exactly to the day that Jesus came into Jerusalem. Very important prophecy, Daniel 9. Talks about weeks, talks about months, talks about years, talks about sevens, talks about seventy-sevens. And by the way, in the Hebrew, Hebrew doesn't really say 70 weeks. It says seventy-sevens. Shavim Shevaim is what it says. Seventy-sevens because that's what they used to call a week, a seven. So if you had weeks, you would call them shavim or weeks. And so it says seventy-sevens. Well, seventy sevens is 490, and that's how many years it comes down that it's talking to. But you can't calculate these years and days unless you know how many days are in a month. And you say, well, of course I know how many days are in a month. Do you really? Do you realize in our modern solar calendar that there can be 30 days in a month? There can be 31? There can be 28 or 29 every four years on a leap year. When you try to figure out the day of the Messiah's return, according to the prophecy in Daniel 9, using one of those numbers in a solar calendar, it doesn't work out. You can't get a consistent answer. You just don't know which number to use. and They're all wrong. It doesn't point to the right day anyway. But in a biblical month, it's not based on the solar month. It's based on the lunar month. It's not based on the sun or solar month. It's based on the moon or the lunar month. And that's the way the Bible defines it in the timing for the various biblical months and feasts that it talks about, Tanakh in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. And when you use a 30-day month, the length of a biblical month given in Genesis, I say, yeah, a biblical month is 30 days, right? That's what I just said. When you use a 30-day biblical month, you say, well, why are you calling a 30-day month a biblical month? Or remember those months? Remember how we calculated it out a while ago? It, we know that the floods lifted up the ark on the second month in the 17th day. 17th day of the second month. 17th day of the second month. And we also know that the floods were prevailing on the earth for 150 days, Right? And then we know that the ark came to rest and it went back to the earth and rested upon the mountains of Ararat on the seventh month, the seventeenth day. Seventeenth day of the seventh month. So let's see now again. Just to review that, the ark lifts up off of the earth on the seventeenth day of the second month. And then it returns to rest on the mountains of Ararat to the earth on the seventeenth day of the seventh month. So basically, from the second month in the 17th day to the seventh month in the 17th day, that's five months. Okay, I get it, five months. What are you talking about, Pastor Stephen? Remember that 150 days that it said the water prevailed? So you take that 150 days, you divide that by five months, and guess what? You come up with 30 days per month. Aha! Now you have your answer, the key to deciphering the amazing prophecy about when the Messiah would come, given in Daniel 9, that key is right here in Daniel 7, I'm sorry, in Genesis 7 and Genesis chapter 8. This is the key to deciphering biblical time frames, the 30-day month. And the 30-day month is established as the standard that God will use throughout the Bible in prophecy, right here in Genesis 7 right here in Genesis chapter 8 by the verses I gave you. And if you look at those verses, even though they seem to be talking about the ark, they are the key for determining when the Messiah was to come. And anyone living 600, and, it was close to 660 years, 600 and, and let's see, 668 years approximately before this time when Christ made His triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and the people proclaimed Him the, the Messiah and the King of Israel. He rode into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey, a fulfillment of another prophecy, and He was held by the people as the Messiah. If you calculate it out that day that He did that, all the way back to the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, as mentioned in the 70-day prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, you'll find that the 30-day month is the key to calculating that. I said 668 years. I didn't mean that. I meant 568 years beforehand, before he rode into Jerusalem. That's when that prophecy was given in Daniel chapter 9. 568 years earlier, approximately, was when that prophecy was given. And then you calculate it from the time of the command that was given to go and rebuild the uh, Jerusalem and its walls, you find out that that is exactly the baseline from where you start and if you use thirty day months and you calculate four hundred and ninety years and you calculate exactly which of those which of those four hundred and ninety years he was to come until until uh, Meshiach would come it prophesied in Daniel chapter nine. It said which of those weeks or which of those years, if you will, at what time in those 490 he would come. That's exactly when he ended up coming, proving that he was the one that the Tanakh had talked about. And the key for understanding all of that and establishing that is right here in Genesis 7 and 8. Now, did you know that many Jewish rabbis do not allow their people to try to calculate the time? in Daniel 9. They know. They know that Christians have taken this and deciphered it based on information right here in Genesis in the Torah and the prophecies of the Tanakh in Daniel uh, in Daniel chapter 9. They know that Christians have taken this and it works out to the very day that Jesus came in. So they do not let their people calculate it. They say it is forbidden to try to calculate the times spoken of in Daniel chapter 9. What are they hiding? I think we know very well what they're hiding. They don't understand it. You see, there's some people in life that look at the scriptures, and if what they believe doesn't match with the scriptures, they say, well, that I don't like what that scripture says. The scripture must mean something else. I don't understand it. Oh, they understand it. They just don't want to change their life. When the rabbis see and they understand what the scripture would mean if people would calculate it, and they understand that this scripture in Daniel 9 would point to the Messiah, and then they tell their people, you are forbidden to try to calculate the numbers of Daniel 9. That just says they're hiding the truth of God. They're hiding the Messiah. They are trying to hide God's salvation from people. It's one thing to not accept the salvation of God in Jesus' son. And you lose your everlasting life because of that. It's another thing to cause many other people to miss everlasting life because of your efforts to try to hide God's word. That's so serious. I wouldn't want to be in their shoes. Now I have many brothers who are rabbis and not all of them believe the way that I've just told you these rabbis say. Many of the rabbis I know have good hearts and they really truly are searching for truth. But then there's others who let their failings be their theology. And if their theology is proven wrong by Scripture, then they don't like that Scripture. They don't use that Scripture. And yet they profess to be the experts in Scripture. When you come to God and you read His Word, your heart must be open to whatever changes He wants to do in your heart. If you think one way and you have one philosophy and theology about life, and then you see that that is wrong and God wants you to have another way, another theology in life. And the scripture is proven to you right there in his word and confirmed by other verses as well. Then it's not up to the word of God to change. It's up to you to change. Jesus said, Father, your word is truth. And you know what's true about truth? It doesn't change. It's the same yesterday today and forever. It's perfect. It's right. It's true. How could it change? You can't change it from being true. If it's true, it is the truth. And the truth is the truth. It's not like what the news says today that, well, the truth is whatever we convince people to think. That's not the truth. That's just a lie that people believe. The truth is God's word. Is your life aligning with the Word of God? That's what we're saying. We have a message all the way from Genesis 7 and 8 that points us to the very day that the Messiah was to have come. And He did come. We look back in history. We look at the historical accounts. We look at the New Testament manuscripts of which we have over 1,530-something manuscripts that have been found. That's just what I know of from a few years ago. It may be over 1,600 now. It is the most documented document from antiquity that ever existed, the New Testament manuscripts. And they all proclaim this time when Jesus came into Jerusalem. God made this message survive so that you could hear it and so that you could know that Jesus Yeshua is the Mashiach, the Messiah. Who? Hachiyuduah. He's the most famous Jew who ever lived. His life split time itself into two parts. His life changed civilization on earth more than any other person who ever lived. And yet so many Jewish people feel that, oh, well, I can't even consider him to be the Jewish Messiah, the most famous Jew ever. That's silly. Stop listening to what others tell you. Open the word of God and you search it out for yourself. God says in Yirmiyahu Hanavi, Batanach, he says in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah the prophet, God says, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Notice he didn't say, you will seek me and you will find me when you find someone else to tell you about me and he says what you should do. No, he says, you'll seek me and you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. And you can understand the word of God. A lot of rabbis will try to tell you, no, oh, don't do that, don't open that yourself. You can't understand it. You need us to tell you what it means. You know, it was the same way that the Christian church was in the Protestant Reformation in 1530s or so. Before that, the Catholic priests had become corrupt. They were selling pieces of paper called indulgences. That they would use these pieces of paper that they would sell to people, and people would buy these, and they would think that their sins were forgiven, and that they would have less time in purgatory or something like that, and they would be more likely to go to heaven. Priests were just making money. Priests were trying to proclaim the scripture from a Latin manuscript when most of Europe didn't speak Latin. It was a dead language. And yet the priest stuck to that Latin manuscript of the Bible. And then people started saying, well, we can translate this into our own language and read it and understand So Martin Luther and other people did that. Now, I know that Martin Luther had some anti-Semitic moments and everything like that. But during that time, people were translating it to the modern languages of the people in the countries they lived in. And they were finding out for themselves what it said. And as they did, they looked up these priests and said, you didn't teach us these things. In fact, you taught us something different. You taught us the opposite of what the Word says. Guess what, my Jewish brothers and sisters? You are being treated the same way. You are being told that you can't understand it, that you need these other people You know, I pray that they will understand the word. But I pray that you would not rely on other people, but that you would search it out yourself. And God will open your heart. If you search for him, you will find him. He will make himself known to you. You open the word. It's his truth. He desires you to find out what it says. He's going to open your heart and your understanding to it. So you see, in Genesis 8, these first five verses not only show you how God carried his, uh, Noah and his family above the judgment of the flood, it shows you how believing in Jesus as Messiah and Lord will save you from the coming final judgment of sin on earth. As God calls you upward, he carries you above it all. Because you are forgiven and your sins are taken away by believing on Jesus, His Son, as Messiah and Lord. Like Noah and his family, you also will be carried away, carried above it, and saved from judgment. If you believe on Jesus, Messiah, Son of God, you will be saved. Now think about that. You will be saved. Have everlasting life in the most beautiful place imaginable the kingdom of heaven you're not an animal you didn't come from the goo through the zoo to you you're created in the image of god that's why you're special that's why you clothe yourself. That's why you drive around in buses and vans and cars and bikes and all of these things. That's why you wear, have a, have a phone in your pocket that's a powerful computer. That's why you have a country that does space shots and space travel to distant places in space. Other creatures don't do that. There's not a close second place in evolution and the rearview mirror at all. You are unique. You are different and you know what I'm saying is true. There's a reason why you're different. You're a child of God and you were created in His image. You're a child of God. Come home. Come home. Why don't you give your life to God today? Right now. If you call out to Him, He'll hear that cry. He'll answer you, He'll rescue you from the darkness you're in and surrounded by, and He'll shine His light on your heart, and you'll be given newness of life. He'll change you into a new person. Throw all that bad history away, and you'll be made completely new, given a new start. And He will give you everlasting life in heaven. That's guaranteed by God Himself. We want to give you an opportunity to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and Lord and to receive God's peace in your life today. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing, by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. Just pray something like this. You can repeat it after me if you'd like. Just say, God, I do want to know you and have real peace in life. I believe on Your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to You. Thank You, Lord. Amen. I'll tell you what. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to know God heard you. And He's already started working in your life. A tiny seed's been planted deep down in your heart, just like a seed planted in the ground over time you'll begin to see the wonderful things that's happening. The wonderful changes that God is making in your own life. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about God every day in His Word. Talk to Him every day in prayer. He's going to do wonderful things in your life.